Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show, where I interview experts from different fields to connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. My name is Jens Heitland, and I am your host. Today's guest is the owner of Access to Quality, a specialist network organization. Access to Quality invents, designs, and prototypes breakthrough strategies, products, and services for a wide variety of industries. For clients such as IKEA, KLM, Air France, Corio, Randstad, and many, many more. Please welcome to the show, Ruhl Vandenberg. Hello, Ruhl. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, Jens. Long time no see. Good. And you? Yeah, also good. Thank you. Yeah, like it's already like two, two or three years ago that we met last time in person. So it's really great to, to see you again, <laughs> not just texting somewhere. No, that's true. A little bit older, a little bit bolder. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it's both always. looking good. <laughs> of course. True. So before we go into innovation and a lot of other interesting topics, um, I would like to hear your story. What, who are you? What is your story? Okay, let, let me start, um, not when I was born, but let me start uh, where the interest of what I'm doing started actually in my life. And that was when I was 12, um, when my father joined a big global retailer uh, and the grandson of the founder of that retailer was my father's boss and he came to our home uh, frequently. And I really got fascinated by this man called Albert Heijn. Um, because he was always telling uh, very uh, interesting stories about what happened on the street with consumers. And of course, now I know what I, he meant with consumers, but because when I was 12, I had no clue what he was talking about, but his stories were so good. Um, and then make, make a big jump uh, because my whole family is mechanical engineer. I became a mechanical engineer as well. Uh, so my first job was actually working for Michelin in a big tire company in Germany, in Bad Kreuznach and in Karlsruhe, uh, and after that in Clermont-Ferrand. Uh, but then uh, I went and applied for a job at the company my father worked with, that big global retailer from Holland, uh, and I got hired. Um, and that became a beautiful journey in my life um, of learning how to work from always from a consumer perspective towards creating value because that's what food retail is all about all the time and specifically when the family was still in charge of the company that was really the mantra think from let's say the end user think from the consumer 
um, and doing all kinds of steps during, let's say, working for the company, I became responsible for business development uh, of that company globally, uh, started to travel all over the world, started to work all over the world. Uh, and that became my fascination, not because I have it from when I was born, but I learned it from that grandson of the founder. Um, and when I decided, it's already now 20 years ago, to quit the firm, uh, leaving my family behind uh, because it felt like the family uh, mm -hmm. I was leaving. I kept on doing actually the same work, but I started a network together with my best friend, uh, uh, Jacob Permer, who was, when we left that company, he was head of uh, HR and I was head of business development. And we didn't dare to step out of that company alone, but we were the key to, let's say, the freedom together because we felt a little bit secure. Okay, when we're the two of us, it's a little <laughs> bit stronger than we're alone. And he kept on working, let's say, in, uh, in HR uh, and I kept on working in business development. Um, and actually the two of us became the, the core of, let's say, the network we're running today together with, with Ellen Zwiening. She joined 15 years ago, much younger than Jacob and I am. So we're in our 60s and she's in the 40s. Um, and we, we are very happy to have a network of yeah, what we would call friends we like to work with uh, from all kinds of different disciplines. Everybody comes from a kind of industry. So nobody of us was born as a consultant or an advisor, but we all worked on the other side of the table. And we love to work together because we like to work together and we know we can make the difference. Uh, and it's a kind of a breathing ecosystem. So we can work for four hours alone on a topic, but we can also work with six people for three years on a topic. And that's what we're doing for commercial, non-commercial, uh, international, national uh, companies today. And that's a lot of fun. So, um, and we are planning to do that for another at least 20 years. So as long as clients are asking for our help, uh, uh, we will help them because it's, it's work. But also for me, work is a purpose in life. Uh, so it's not a necessity, but it's just fun. Uh, that's who I am, uh, let's say from a business perspective. Uh, privately, I'm married. Uh, I've got two beautiful sons who already have their own families. Uh, I love mountain climbing and mountain biking uh, because I'm a real strong believer that if your body stays in a good shape, at least my mind stays in a good shape, I'm 300% curious. Um, so I don't have a preference for, let's say, company A or company B or let's say... Uh, doesn't really matter where you put me on earth because I can be curious in everything. That's what drives me today. Uh -huh. Nice. I would like to dig deeper in, in, in one topic. I remember mm -hmm. when we have met last time in Portugal, in Porto, we have had a beer together. And you, you told me that you do once a year a team trip. Yeah. Can you, can you explain that story and how you, you came doing that? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. Uh, there, there, let's say the, the two and now the three of us, uh, uh, because now it sounds like a kind of a, an institute, the, uh, the annual trip. 
but it started um, actually it started with Jacob and myself when we said I think it's already 12 years ago we don't know anything about the Islam um, and we were working for clients where let's say the multicultural societies popped up and we at least also in Holland companies with where also Islamic people uh, uh, were employed and we said we don't know anything about that mm. and then we said okay let's let's travel from Tehran in Iran uh, uh, to Xi'an in China and we go through uh, Central Asia because we learned or we heard and afterwards we learned that in the countries you traveled to uh, meaning uh, you start in Iran uh, and then a little corner of Afghanistan and then Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan and then China. You all, in all those countries, they experience the Islam or uh, uh, in a different way. And that's actually how it started. And uh, did we get answers? Partly. Uh, was it unbelievable, uh, uh, inspiring? Yes, it was. Um and we experienced that it was actually affecting the way of us looking to our work uh, because we became actually a little bit more global citizens with a more open mind. Um, and not only, I mean, I, I traveled a lot for the company, the, the food retailer uh, in the old days, but that was always work related. So you would be in a plane, you would be in a hotel, you would be in office, you would do your thing and then you would fly back again. And then you don't really dive into, let's say, the life of other people. And during the three months we traveled to Central Asia, you really feel you, 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 you experience what's really happening over there much more. And actually, that was the starting point. So we said, okay, three months is maybe a little bit long. <laughs> uh, and we can't afford ourselves to do that every year. And then we said, okay, let's let's start to do it in things we don't understand. We will at least go once a year to a place we don't understand. And that's how it started. And then Ellen joined us. So every year, the three of us go to a place where at least we think we can learn something or don't understand something. So we started with Tokyo, uh, Seoul in Korea, uh, Delhi in India, uh, two years ago, we went to um, to Lagos in Nigeria. Uh, we should have gone last year to Kazakhstan, uh, uh, but of course that was cancelled. Uh, we went to Israel, but Israel was not the main thing, but the West Bank actually was the main thing we wanted to go to, uh, things like that. So it's a kind of satisfying our own curiosity on what the heck is going on there in the Palestinian Israeli thing. Okay, then you can read about it, but you can also go there and talk to people. Mm. Um, and that's how Jacob and myself, Ellen didn't join. Uh, five years ago, I think it's now, uh, we traveled from the city where I live, just north of Amsterdam, to Cape Town in Africa. And we drove my car along the west coast of Africa through 17 countries. Um, and then you start to understand, okay, this is Africa. Uh, which is the most amazing continent on earth, to be honest. Uh, we hardly look at, I know, but still it's vibrating. It's, uh, and that's how we convinced Ellen to join us three years ago. Okay, you should come with us. Uh, and I will never 
forget that Eleanor Prince uh, uh, said to me, what the hell are you going to do with our <laughs> daughter? You're bringing her to Nigeria. Yes, we did. So that's, that's why we do it. And we, we will keep on doing that because it's really inspiring. Yeah. It's it's super great example for a lot of businesses as well because coming from and working with a lot of businesses, it's always you you look into the world specifically if you're very successful, your your view of the world is shrinking to your own world and you kind of are in a bubble. So if you're yeah. if you're not exposing yourself into different ways, seeing the world from different perspectives, uh, you might lose out going forward. Specifically in the fast-changing world we live in right now. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's a good point you're making because if you, uh, uh, when I traveled for uh, the uh, global food retailer to the US or to Asia uh, or to South America, everything was organized and planned and you had a very specific task. So your lens was very narrow. Uh, but for example, when you go to Nigeria or you travel to Africa, nothing goes according to plan. But everything comes, let's say, everything goes fine in the end. Hmm. So you have to be, it's less programmed, it's less predictable. Uh, it's, and then you really start to know not only the world you are visiting, but you also start to know yourself a little bit better, time hmm. after time after time. So your mind stays much more flexible. Uh, Although I have to be very honest, Jens, I'm a mechanical engineer, so I'm a linear thinker. <laughs> Things have to be programmed. And I have to tell you one little anecdote. When we traveled to Cape Town uh, and we, uh, we arrived in Cape Town after three months, there was a guy uh, uh, in Cape Town who helped us to ship back the car. Uh, and he asked us, okay, how was it? I mean, how was the trip? And he said, well, it was gorgeous. Well, did anything happen? said, no. Uh, did anything happen to the car? Uh, I said, no, nothing happened to the car. Although one time in a very touristic place in Namibia, we got stuck in the sand and, you know, all the tourists were looking at us, laughing at us. But that was really the only thing that happened to us in those three months. And he said, but I looked at your car and everything is so well prepared. So we had three spare tires. We had 100 liters of water. We had 200 liters of gasoline. Uh, um, And he said, that's the only reason why nothing happened because you thought everything so good through, you could cope with everything, but that means your mind is secured. Mm. And then of course you don't need it. Um, and that's something I take with me that experience day after day, because you can prepare yourself, but things will never happen the way you planned, but at least there is a kind of, Yeah, call it self-confidence. You know, if something then happens, I can't control. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it in control, at least. Yeah, beautiful. So I have a couple of trigger words getting us into a little bit the innovation space. Maybe let's start with high-level understanding. What's your understanding of innovation? For me, innovation is a mindset. It's... Um, Yeah, it's a mindset. It's not a discipline. It's not a, a trick. It's not. Uh, it's a mindset of a human being. Uh, and that's actually it for me, innovation. And it's the ability to adapt to things 
that can threaten you or that are opportunities for you uh, on the short run, on the long run, doesn't really matter. But it's the mindset in, in everybody's head because I think everybody can innovate. It's not, a, it's not a specific skill like somebody who can weld or somebody can, who can uh, build bridges. No, it's the mindset. If we, if we get into the corporate world, how do you see innovation happening or not happening? So what, what's, what's happening in large corporations specifically? You have been working in different ones. Yeah, uh, frozen, Sorry. Okay. Are you back? Sorry. Yeah, I'm back. You okay. started with corporate. Yeah. So what is, what is your perspective of innovation in, in corporates? So you have been working in different corporates yourself. And now, of course, over the last 20 years uh, with clients who are in the corporate world, what's working with innovation? What's not working with innovation? The, um, there are f a few dimensions there. Um, first of all, uh, it has to do with leadership. So if, if the leader of a corporate, the CEO or the board of a corporate um, is able to, to steer a company or to inspire a company that what they're doing today is good for today, but they have to be open-minded. They have to stay curious on things that will pop up on their path. So you can, you can look in a certain direction, but do you really see what you're looking at? Uh, so I've seen CEOs lead companies that were really inspiring people to look at, let's say the world ahead, uh, the road ahead uh, like this. And in those situations, you could see that, that innovation be, could become an integrated part of the culture. And that's those companies were able to adapt themselves to changing circumstances. So they, they, they were a kind of resilient towards changes and there can be threats or opportunities, doesn't really matter. And I've seen other companies where you see, okay, we organize innovation. So innovation became a department. So, you know, okay. uh, uh, something on the door that says, okay, this is the department of innovation. Uh, my limited experience is those things failed. Um, and so it's leadership, it's, it's mindset, it's um, having, the, having the freedom to look at things, see things, you don't know exactly what it is, but is there a culture where at least it can be debated, it can be discussed, uh, and maybe even you are allowed to anticipate on it uh, in a kind, call it a pilot or a project, whatever, and see, try to discover if it's really a threat or if it's really an opportunity. Um, those companies are constantly changing, and I call I would call that innovation. So they're constantly adapting, not in huge major steps, but on all kind of small steps. Uh, and the other ones that try to organize it uh, as a function, they actually are stuck into their daily business all the time. And they are not stepping out of the, the thing they're in every day, every moment of the day. No, that's my experience so far. And actually, it's not only with big corporates, it's also with smaller companies. So uh, 
we we once worked for a beer brewer in the south of Holland, a family-owned company, uh, and that whole family has a mindset of we have to we have to change every day because they love it, hmm. and it's a huge family. There they have two hundred and twenty family members. Not all of them are working in the company, but you know they have a kind of mentality. They love change, and what I also see that a lot of big corporates or also smaller companies they hate change yeah. they don't want to change you know it's beautiful to be in my little uh, bubble uh, and let me stay in that bubble please don't hurt the bubble <laughs> i would like to double down on the change part so i mean you have been working with change in in different ways in the past yeah. what are the ways you you think change is working or Enabling change works better or, or not good? Um, I think that the, let's say freedom, if freedom is enabled, and I don't mean freedom physically, but mentally is enabled, um, freedom of thinking, freedom of debate, freedom of pushback, uh, freedom of okay, we agree to disagree. Uh, freedom to uh, dare to state your opinion on things, although you can't prove it, you don't know what it is. If that is challenged, then change is easy or relatively easy. Um, if those conditions are not created, I mean, change is difficult because then everybody's going to look at the big leader could be North Korea, we're all looking to the big leader and the big leader says, we go all left now. And then we follow like slaves. Uh, you can say, okay, that changes as well. Yes, it does, but it, it's very, let's say unstable. Uh, but if people feel that they are part, let's say of the change, they can influence the change. They can understand the, the need for change, which by the way is almost always outside of the company, the need for change mm. can be the customer, can be the client, can be societal developments that are happening, uh, that you have to show people, okay, let's look at this. What is happening out there? Is that a threat? Is that an opportunity? If, that, if those conditions are created, you see that it works, then change is relatively easy. That's one part that is more a cultural part but you also see that you have to allow, but that's my theory. In my theory, there are three types of human beings. Uh, you, you have the, the people that, let's say the artists, the creators, the painters, the sculptors, the, the anarchists, people that don't want to be put in a, in a little box. They can create things from zero. They are really original thinkers and I'm exaggerating, but I would call them the anarchists. And on the other hand, you have the people that love to be in a bubble and please tell me what to do every day because, you know, uh, and in between is a kind of type of human being. I would call it the footprint thinkers. They are able to talk and understand the people that are in the energy zone, but they also understand, let's say, the people that are in the, in the bubble and they build bridges. Uh, and if you have all three, so if management enables all three to to be allowed to be there, you see that change is easy.
but if you have an anarchist going into, let's say, the bubble, I mean, uh, uh, it's like putting the fox into the hen house. Uh, that doesn't work. So there should be something in between. Uh, and then you see that the that, change is actually smoothly. It's relatively easy because I believe that in essence, people are, let, let's say, at least in our culture and the Western culture, you see that people are more or less afraid of change. Maybe that's a little bit too heavy, but change is a little bit scary. Mm. Change is a little bit, okay, what do I lose? Uh, it can be status, it can be security of a job, it can be, which in all cases is not true. I mean, if you just sit there and obey every day, you can still in a reorganization be kicked out. Happens also in big in big corporates all the time, actually. Uh, so if, if you're able to, to create that environment where it's stimulated, it's inspiring. You can not only talk hierarchical, but you can also talk horizontal. It's not your discipline is not allowed to talk to this discipline. No, it's, it's keeping that open atmosphere, then it works. And then you see that for me, but that's my conclusion, those companies are resilient. Mm -hmm. Those companies are not afraid of a pandemic. Those companies are not afraid of let's say, uh, a financial crisis. Those companies are not afraid of technology or they're not afraid of sustainability as a big iceberg coming, let's say, uh, or topping up on the horizon. Uh, no, because they know, okay, let's face it, let's deal with it and let's turn it into an opportunity. Yeah, You know, it's a little bit, uh, uh, one, one metaphor for me is I love climbing mountains uh, and you know, there's something I know what I can do. I know my skills. I know my level. I know my physical condition. I know what I can do. I know where my limits are. And I know the goal. But I can tell you one thing, it never goes as planned because the weather changes very rapidly or uh, let's say you eat something wrong or actually mentally you're not up to it. Uh, um, I climbed, the, I tried to climb the Elbrus in, uh, in Russia a few years ago with a friend of mine. And, you know, we were physically completely okay. Actually, the weather was perfectly okay, but we did, just didn't make it because our minds were not okay. Mm. Uh, so we had to stop 100 meters under, uh, let's say, the top. But two years ago, I climbed with my youngest son, the Aconcagua in South America, much higher. And actually, we did it with not with one finger up our nose, but I mean, 7,000 meters is a little bit too ambitious for one finger up your nose, but then everything fits together. Mm. And that's how you deal with stuff. And our preparation, if we look back for the Aconcagua, was actually much better because we took care of all the dimensions and for the Elbrus, we didn't. Uh, so I think all those circumstances have to be in place and then you are resilient and you know what to do. Yeah. L love that story because I, I have a similar one where when I prepared for my second long, long distance triathlon, the Ironman distance, I was physically in better shape, but mentally not. So the, my first Ironman was half an hour faster and half an hour in 11 hours doesn't matter too much, but it's still, I was from a physical 
perspective, I was way fitter. Um, yeah. The gear was better. All that the weather was a bit warmer, but that doesn't matter. Less wind and all this. So normally it's like should be a better time, but my mental state wasn't as good as before. And that was the difference. Yeah. And that's exactly what is all also when you talk innovation or let's say the, the ability to be able to change and are not afraid of being or of change uh, because there, there is actually the combination. I mean, change is not a goal in itself. Innovation is not a goal in itself. I mean, those are all meanings to an end. Mm. I mean, in the end, it's the ability to sustain. I mean, can I stay? Can I survive? Uh, is my business still there? Uh, uh, am I strong enough not only to look at it, let's say, the next step, but do I also have the ability to look 10, 20 years ahead? And of course, the next step is very easy. Because you can look at it and see, okay, yeah, you know, there, there's a, a bubble or there's a little hole. Uh, and of course, it's much more vague to think about 20 years ahead, but still, you have to do it because time is of essence if you want to change. Hmm. Change overnight is difficult. I mean, I don't know how you trained for the Iron Man, but I've seen my son doing an Iron Man. Well, he trained the shit out of his body. Yeah, uh, I can tell you. But it took some time to train. Yeah, it's it's not that you decide four weeks before an Ironman that you will do an Ironman, except you're extraordinary shape already. But, yeah, but it's not most going people, to work. But most organizations are not capable of doing that as well. So if you can have time in your favor instead of as an enemy, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's why you have to work on that call it physical condition, mental condition all the time. Also as a company. Yeah. You should love change. 100%. That's like, before we recorded, I was, I was telling that, that um, for, for me, it's like a long-term game. Everything I do is right now is a long-term investment, which a lot of people don't understand. But me, for me, it's just, it's a, it's a state of mind that everything I do right now will pay back maybe in five or 10 years. It doesn't matter, but it will pay back. Yeah. One way or but the you, other. <laughs> yeah, because you don't know how. Exactly. But, but somewhere it will pay back. Uh, um, but is that not a kind of, uh, uh, I'm not religious. So for me, it's also getting everything out of life every day. Hmm. Uh, and I want to get as old as possible because, you know, uh, uh, still I think, Jesus, life is so beautiful. Uh, uh, so why should there be an end? Uh, at least that's what I'm thinking, 63, that's what I'm thinking today. When I was 40, I thought, 63, you're retired, <laughs> you're old. I mean, uh, that's the next step, let's say, before, or it's the step before you die. Today, I think, my God, I mean, there's so many beautiful things out there. So you have to keep in shape of try to stay as long, resilient as possible. Yeah. And that's what I think companies should do. I agree. Uh, it's it's super important as well to keep things, keep the change going, just to keep the organism fit inside the inside yeah. the business, and not. Yeah. What I'm always saying is, companies when they're very very successful for a long time, they get, go into a protection mode, which is how can we protect yeah. what we have achieved as long as possible, rather than how can yeah. we use the opportunity to reinvent ourselves? Yeah. 
all the time. Yeah. And there is exactly, I love it what you say now, because that's something you see the moment, let's say the CFO takes over, uh, let's say uh, the position of the CEO in a company, not literally, but mentally, Hmm. that protection mode starts. And then it's actually, then you see operational excellence becomes very important. So we have to, but that's lowering costs. That is making sure we get the more out of every dollar or euro we put into it. Uh, and then I think that's the beginning of the end. Mm. If you keep yourself in shape and you are daring to stay and you dare to stay Iron Man number 16 or uh, uh, mountain top number 12 or whatever, but there should be ambition. There should mm. be uh, uh, the desire to change. Let's say that should be in the DNA. And I think that's the DNA of very healthy companies because the moment it goes into the defense mode, yeah, you're lost in space. That's my conviction. Yeah. Uh, and then companies start to blame the whole world and then they blame Corona or they blame the government or they blame whatever. It's always easier to blame others. <laughs> If you would blame the temperature when you were doing the Iron Man, or well, I was starting to blame the food during the expedition on the Aconcagua, I mean, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> then you're lost. Yeah then you're really lost. I would like to use that to, to look into transformation. So one part is, of course, the change. And then you as a professional, as an advisor for uh, companies, you're often asked to, hey, we need someone from the outside who can help us to transform. Yeah. How, are, how are you starting a conversation like this? And how, how are, are you starting even a relationship like this? Um. I think that there there are multiple different reasons why people uh, ask me or us uh, to come uh, uh, for, let's say, the first conversation. Uh, and most of the times there is a kind of tangible question. Um, uh, and again, most of the times that's or a real threat uh, or a huge opportunity uh, uh, and they want a concrete answer on the short term. You know, this is the problem. Can you solve the problem? Or this is the opportunity. What should we do? Uh, and what we tried or what we do, we don't try it because that's the way we work. We always start with, okay, we, we listen to you. Uh, we hear what you're saying, but we'd like to understand what you're saying. Hmm. Um, and raised in that food retail company uh, uh, where I learned from the grandson of the founder to start on the street. Always, you had to know what women behavior was because 80% of the customers was female. Uh, so you had to understand female behavior, short-term, mid-term, long-term. Uh, and that's what we, that's what we, where we start from. We say, okay, let's look at society. And if you look at society, which things uh, do you think will affect your business? So we don't even listen to the, or we, we still listen, but we don't <laughs> focus on the question anymore. Yeah. But we start really uh, 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 with a group of people. And of course, there's always a little bit of discussion. Okay, who should be in the group uh, from the client side? But we start to look at uh, roughly 100 societal developments and say, okay, you can only pick in the end five. Because you say, as a team, you say, if we don't adapt to these societal developments, 
we are in deep shit or we are losing opportunities or whatever. Um, and when we establish that foundation, then we start to think, okay, but if you look at society like this, that's interesting. So you pick those five. What the next question is, okay, who are your, let's say your clients mm. and what are their needs? So step away from, let's say the, the what question, but first go to the why question. And then you see beautiful discussions uh, pop up that sometimes they have a hard time, def- let's say, defining their clients, who really is a yeah. client. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's internal, sometimes it's external, sometimes it's a consumer. In other companies, they call it a patient. In the next one, they call it a box. They all, but you have to define, let's say, the client. And then you start to ask, okay, but what are their needs? Mm. Uh, and that's always a tricky part in the way we approach it because the, the, what we learn them is that let's say the the your 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 client needs or your customer needs or your consumer needs they are on a subconscious level because you have to ask why 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 to come to the real thing mm-hmm. customers or clients need and then then actually we have a kind of fundament that says okay this is how we look at society from of course the business they have in their backpacks and hey okay these are our clients these are their these are their needs and then we have the why and then you start to look at okay but what are we going to do with those insights Mm. and there is a it's a kind of indirect way to come to most of the times their questions because that's on the what level or in big corporates even on the how level uh, so then we start to drill down, okay, but if these are the societal development, these are the needs, okay, what could be then what you have to put as value towards those needs to make sure that you stay in business? Hmm. And on that level of the what, we always use, okay, but who do you want to be through the eyes of a customer or your client? And not, let's say, in figures, but let's say in, on a, in a qualitative way. So how do you want the client to talk about you? When he comes home or she comes home. Uh, And what do you want to be? And that's more, let's say, your positioning in the field of competition. Uh, And the last thing we go uh, into is uh, uh, into the how. Uh, Okay, if we have established the why, we have established the what. And then actually the how is very easy. But what we actually notice a lot of times, people start on the level of how. Sometimes they start on the level of what, but they hardly start on, let's say, the level of the why. And I think in the why, you can inspire them, trigger them, give them a kind of direction, and they do it to themselves because they pick, we challenge them. And if they really do stupid things, uh, from our point of view, we will at least have a debate on it. But um, let's say the why is... The direction and in the why it can be the threat or the opportunity and with the why you can also guide them a little bit more to look into the future mm. uh, and you know very simple things uh, and i never knew that it was let's say something i learned when i was working in the food retail that if you look at food retail with the margins they make let's say the cash flow they have to control they are really very close to, uh, uh, let's say, they're on top of adapting to societal developments. Otherwise, they're out of business. Yeah. So if you understand food retail and you are, for example, in commercial real estate, which is very slow, like, uh, let's say food retail is fast-moving consumer goods, 
commercial real estate, I mean, if you put down a concrete floor, it's there for 25 years at least. So you can look into the future to look at food retail if you're in commercial real estate. Um, and that's what we try to do. That, that's how we work. That's how we, how we try to facilitate the transformation. But the transformation itself is a result. Mm. It's never the goal. Love so the moment, a, the moment a client comes to you, you know, we need to transform. <laughs> okay, but why? Yeah, we want to transform. Yeah, but again, why? Uh, and as I mentioned before, the grandson of the founder, uh, when, when I was a trainee, when I was 25, he, uh, he learned me a very important lesson. The why you change is always in the outside world. Hmm. It's never, let's say, you who decides why. So the why, you have to be curious, unconditionally curious to the why in the outside world. Because what you all said, already said before, if you be, go into that bubble phase, what a lot of corporates, a lot of companies actually do, when they're successful, success is a horrible thing. Uh, because first of all, people become greedy, doors are closed, windows are closed, curtains are closed. I mean, you want to stay in a beautiful, warm bubble. I mean, I'm mm. so successful. Mm. <laughs> That's the beginning of the end of a lot of companies, in yeah. my opinion. I think one, one thing I would like to highlight is that what you said is you facilitate that. So you're not going in and yep. doing it for them. You're going helping them to do it. I think that's a specific differentiator, at least from what I remember when we worked together a couple of years back, that's like you have the big consultants who are coming in, they're bringing 20 people and they kind of do it for you and then they're yeah. leaving. But you yeah. do this in a specific different way. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, uh, I think we do it different because we, we, we don't think that we are capable of coming up with the right answers. Um, but it's a combination of two things. We, we, because we have all, let's say, uh, our legacy of all the people in our network is from all kinds of different parts of industries. Mm. So we have been sitting on the client side. Uh, uh, we have been wrestling uh, uh, when we were sitting on that other side. We have made big mistakes. We had big successes. So we are a little bit the same as the client. Um, and that's why we always say, we're not doing it for you, but we're going to do it with you. Yeah. But that's one thing. On the other hand, we're not just a facilitator who has a kind of you know, methodology and I facilitate, uh, let's say the methodology. No, because there we're too stubborn. Uh, and that's what we also say to clients when we, when we come into a company, listen, we also have an opinion. But of course, you know much more about, let's say, healthcare or airline or retail or food production or commercial real estate than we do. We will never be the experts that really have commercial real estate or food production in our DNA. But we have an opinion on stuff. And it's the combination of also the client experiencing you or, or us as people that sit beside them uh that is appreciated a lot of times mm. that we come not we will never behave like let's say the traditional consultants 
where most of the traditional consultants, yeah, you, uh, they are used, and maybe I'm doing them short now, but they're used as an excuse to facilitate things other people already decided upon. Mm-hmm. That's not how we would like to work. So we, uh, so we facilitate, we stimulate, we inspire, we push back, we debate. Uh, um, so somebody in a network said we are not uh, um, consultants, but we are insultants. <laughs> uh, and that's how it's a little bit a nasty word. So we're not really insulting them, but we're we're trying to work side by side. We feel that we're part of them, mm. uh, but we have a broader scope. We have a lot of other experiences. So we also connect clients to one another afterwards uh, because I think that's how we are and that's who we are. Um, so you can learn in the food production industry. We have a big client in the food production industry uh, who learned a lot from the commercial real estate world. Mm. And uh, we had an airline as a client who helped us to solve a problem in the cultural industry mm. uh, or even with a governmental organization. So, you know, that cross connecting disciplines makes it fun for the client. It makes it fun for us. And you always push yourselves across limits where in the beginning you thought we're not going to cross those limits. No. So that's what we try to do. Um, And is it a standard methodology? To be honest, no, it's not. Is it an academical model we're using? No, it's not. Uh, um, Is it a kind of business development? Yeah, in the end, I think we, we would call it business development because it's like raising a child. It's never, I mean, my children are 37 and 34 now, but you still are their dad. So you're still asked for, they still ask you difficult questions, di- different than when they were 12 yeah. <laughs> or 16 uh, when they were brought home drunk or uh, using drugs or uh, uh, now it's about, okay, about mortgages and things like that. But on the other hand, they teach me that, why are you, why are you not in cryptos yet? So, <laughs> okay, that's maybe the wrong uh, example at specifically at this moment in time, but um but that, that's how you, we always say actually, or clients say it about us. We love to have you in our paths work, let's say side by side for a while. And mm-hmm. we will never stay because we have a contract. Uh, uh, no, uh, because we very honest, we hardly work with contracts. Um, uh, as Ellen always says, we will only be there as long as we add value. Yeah. So if the, added value stops this afternoon at four o'clock, we will leave because, uh, and that is a very nice way of working together with companies. So they say, no, you accelerate stuff in our thinking. Uh, uh, you give us a kind of perspective. The truth is they create their own perspective, uh, but it's nice to discover it together. Yeah. Beautiful. That's how we work. I, I think it's re- really good example, and I wrote a lot of topics for myself as well. So I will I will be borrowing a couple of things from from your ideas as well. Thank you for that. Open source, open source. <laughs> so, getting to the last part of the yep. podcast, where I'm asking a couple of rapid fire questions. First one is a really small one, which is 
if you would be having the chance of working with a topic, working with a project that's impacting every human being on earth, what project, what topic would it be? And why would you choose to work with that? For me, it would be the topic of food, uh, healthy food, um, because I think everybody deserves healthy food or trustworthy food. And I think, um, or maybe the bigger umbrella is, and I know it's a container phrase, but it's a kind of sustainability. I, I really believe, and one of the guys in the network doesn't talk about sustainability anymore, but he says the ability to sustain as a human being. So, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's food or living environment or housing, but I really, that that's something that really, sometimes freaks me out because we're, we're killing this earth. Uh, we're using too much of everything. Uh, 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 and I'm part of that as well. But if I could work on a topic that would, let's say, really nail that topic and could impact everybody's life on earth, I would give 24 hours a day for that topic to see how we can solve that. Mm. Great. Next question. Where will you be in a year from now? And you can answer that from a personal perspective and or business. I will still be working because work is not a necessity uh, uh, for me, but it's purpose in life because for me, the part of life is work because it's creating value. So for sure, I will be working. I will hopefully, because I have no clue for whom we will be working, uh, let's say a year from now, but for sure it will be fascinating challenges of small or big companies. And it doesn't really matter for me if it's commercial or non-commercial or international or national. Um, so that's on one thing. On the private side, I hope that let's say we will be able to do our next, uh, um, let's say inspiration trip again to a place on earth, or we already did it. Uh, and we got answers from a place on earth of things we didn't understand. Um, and being happy. I mean, uh, and maybe even working with you together on something <laughs> after open. so many years. <laughs> no, but that's, that's for me, that's, I'm, I'm really satisfied with what we talked before about uh, the step I made 20 years ago to become independent. And that's really, uh, 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 for me, the ultimate state of independency. And I enjoy that every day. Yeah. So next year doesn't have to be a major shift. Uh, so I think, and it will happen. Like if we would talk a year from now, that will happen. We would have, we could look back and okay, what was it? But it's going to happen anyhow. Uh, yeah. It would be nice to exchange what it was then. Let's uh, let's put it into the calendar. <laughs> for sure. 
So last question is, how do you keep yourself informed and up to date on different topics that interest you? That's a good question. Um, it's, I think it's quite, yeah, maybe it's very simple. Uh, uh, I'm surrounded by beautiful people uh, uh, in the network and outside of the network that are a kind of source of inspiration of content uh, that is coming on my path, at least for free. Um, which I love to eat, read, uh, digest, uh, discuss about. Um, but a, an important thing is that to form an opinion on, on certain things. So, um, but it's also a matter of reading stuff. Uh, it's a matter of looking at documentaries, uh, reading old fashioned newspapers. Um, uh, what I said, traveling uh, and travel then with a purpose uh, and not to lay on the beach, uh, uh, let's say on an island, but really dive into stuff. Um, and also by working. Uh, because don't forget the moment you work for a client, I mean, you also learn an incredible lot. Yeah. Uh, and specifically if you are in diverse, uh, 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 let's say industries. So um, 10 years ago, I had no clue what commercial real estate was or uh, healthcare. But when you start to work for a university hospital, and you uh, are working on their challenges, you start to learn a lot about healthcare. Uh, uh, or we developed a high school concept called the dream school a long time ago, uh, but I'm not an expert in education at all. But then talking to young people between 12 and 16 and their view on earth and their desire to be in charge of their future and their learning uh, process. So it's, it's working. Uh, it's reading, it's debating, it's it's talking to you, uh, uh, it's 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 talking to my grandchildren mm -hmm. uh, because it's not only uh, let's say high end stuff, but it's also very easy. It's in front of you. It's there. Uh, if you look at uh, how ch how children act today, how children learn. If I see my two year old grandson, how he works with let's say an iPad or, uh, uh, you know, when I was two, I was playing in the sandbox <laughs> uh, and having little, a miniature car. But if you, if you look at little kids, if I look at my, the youngest grandchild is a, a beautiful girl of one, but he, how she acts with media, with technology, mm. with, you really think, Oh my God. Uh, uh, but that kind that's how you keep up to date. I think. Mm. I'm not only talking to 63 uh, peers. Uh, I mean, then, then because a lot of my 63 year old peers are, let's say, living at home, looking forward to be, uh, let's say, uh, retired, uh, planning all kinds of long trips. Uh, and I love it for them, but that's not me. Uh, so just be a sponge. Uh, <laughs> Talk to people, read things, experience things. That's how I keep in shape. And, right. and again, what I said, you have to keep in shape with your body because I'm a strong believer, body and mind 
if the body sucks, the mind also implodes probably. But that's my worry. Uh, I agree. So last part is, where can people find you? How can people reach out to you? We have a horrible website uh, <laughs> with only two pages. Um, let's say it's how people find me until today is uh, 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 worth to mouth uh, and mouth to mouth uh, because uh, LinkedIn sucks. If you look at my LinkedIn profile, don't go there uh, because I have no clue how to maintain it and I'm not maintaining it. Uh, the website sucks. Uh, so it's uh, uh, most of the times it's just telephone and email uh, and be recommended by somebody else. They have to reach out to you to that's say, fine. How, Absolutely. The, how the heck do I get to him if they want to get in touch with me? <laughs> That's no problem. So for everyone who would like to get connect to Rule, please contact me and everyone who is listening to this podcast in an audio form or video form, you know how to reach out to me. Rule, thank you very much for, for your time. It was a, a pleasure talking to you and having you on my show. Thank you very much. You're more than welcome. It was very nice seeing you after two and a half years again. Thank you. 